Welcome back to Cycles of Orion. This is the first part of the second episode of Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, entitled Margaret and the Time Traveler. Sit back, relax, take yourself away into the world of the Orion Spur. USD 43B.33566.897 Onboard Panacea 3, one of the five colony ships used by human refugees during the Terran exodus to Mars. The five Panacea ships were reused on Mars as the first interstellar colony ships. They ferried colonists to Horizon, Corion 2, Darwinia, Quinvald, and Cerberus, which was later named Modos. A few Martian decades after the dispersal, Horizon went dark, and with it, Panacea 3 disappeared. It was the third patrol of the cycle, not an hour away from shift change, and I hear that coming from the cargo hold. At first I figured that something knocked over some containers, though I hadn't considered what. So I jogged into the cargo hold and turned on all the lights. I heard footsteps. There weren't supposed to be footsteps, curfew was hours ago. I walked slowly, carefully, peering around corners and landing steps on the ball of my foot. Then I saw him. He stood there, all in black except his shirt. It was a gaudy taupe with small gray buttons and a pocket on one side. His jacket. Mid-thigh-high had fallen open and folded over on one side, and I could see that a pocket inside had a small black brick. The brick was connected to a wire, and the wire fed into the man's ear, but whatever was feeding into his head, as well as any other secrets he may have had, were mysteries to me. Best not to imagine too much, anyway. We might hear. What business do you have out of quarters? I thought, but the man didn't respond. Could be his lattice was acting up. Certainly that would make me act strange. So I asked again, this time out loud. What business do you have out of quarters? Why this creeping about after curfew? And the man jumped. Apparently he hadn't noticed me. Was I creeping? And as he said it, he shook his oddly shaped head. I said, You were, and I'll be seeing some ID. But the man stood still. His eyes watched me, sized me up. I was having none of that. Authorization immediately, or you will be detained and questioned hence. But that only seemed to confuse him more. His eyes danced around the room, to the walls, to the cargo crates, and finally to me. He crinkled up his face. I'm sorry, but I'm new here and I'll have to ask you to humor me. Where am I? A funny guy. Hands where I can see them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy now. Here they are, fingers and all. Am I, am I reading that right? Your name? Margaret, is it? You say you'll be detaining me, yes? I took a step forward. He took a step back. Right, good, yes, of course, but Margaret, if that be the case, I'm just dying to know. 
How exactly do you plan on doing that? I was not carrying a gun. Our Lord Seer had confiscated all arms a few cycles prior. There had been an attempted mutiny by some traitors on the lower wards who had somehow overwhelmed an entire squad of drones and stolen their weapons, then holed up on decks R through T. The fools. In the end, our Lord Seer had shot them out of an airlock and deactivated all automated security as punishment. We were alone and defenseless. Well, not defenseless. I'm on guard duty after all. Some of our bodies were repurposed to provide security by any means necessary. I reached for the any means I had stowed in my belt, a wrench I had grabbed from engineering. But as soon as I slid it free, the man jolted back into a maze of cargo containers. Running is not my strong suit, so I made certain that the bay doors were locked and jogged into the maze myself. I followed him, turning left, then right, and left, and left again, a pattern that made me suspect that this man had no clue whatsoever as to where he was going. But even if he did have a clue, he wouldn't be able to run for long, and he certainly couldn't hide. Unless he had friends, of course. I pressed forward and actually managed to gain on him when he tripped on a doorway. But he regained his distance by ducking through a crate. I even lost him for a moment, but his shoes made so much noise that I didn't have any trouble finding him again. He was a flashy character. A clown in formal wear. His coat billowed out behind him, snapping side to side in all directions but the one in which he went. Then he saw it, whatever he was looking for. His profile brightened up and he took off out of view once more. Whatever it was he had found, our Lord Seer would surely never let him leave this room. All I would have to do was wear him out before the next cycle. I rounded the corner and saw what he had been running to. A silver-gray razor of a ship set in the center of some downed and dented crates with a near-perfect sphere bent into the crates and decks around it. The silver ship gulped light and stoked the imagination. Something about it was familiar, despite its strangeness of place. And I could not shake the feeling that I had seen it before. Something like an incomplete thought, or a half-forgotten dream. It was resting on forearms, one on each side and two down the center and from its belly came a set of sleek black steps, which touched the ground as soon as I saw them. The man in black ran up into the craft. Once at the top of the steps, he swiped at a console, and the companionway started to rise. I sped to a healthy sprint and fought through the aching of my legs. The stairs lifted higher and higher, and when they were halfway, I jumped and grabbed the rising lip. My spanner fell to the floor as I wrestled my way up, the man fled the airlock and sealed the door behind him. I pulled myself up onto the vessel, and the companionway closed beneath me. The airlock in which I found myself was pure white, except for a silver console on the forward wall and some dark red trim around the doors. I started looking around for an exit, but soon I was distracted by the noises I began to hear coming from the back of the ship. Whirring soon became humming, which turned to hissing, and finally a low rumble. All at once it became terribly clear that the ship was taking off. The fool! I thought, there's no way our Lord Seer will let him go. 
I screamed out, You'll kill us both, fool! But the only response was gravity strengthening for a moment. I closed my eyes and thought of us. I thought that maybe it was all a dream. Yes, a dream. Our Lord Seer has always been fond of testing our subject's devotion through living dreams. This nightmare would not be out of sorts. I tighten my eyelids and try to wake up, clearing my mind and finding balance in the presence of eternity. But when I opened my eyes once more, I was greeted again by white walls and red trim. My pupils ached for the violet and indigo hues of my cabin. The ship's weight shifted as it oriented itself towards what I presumed was the hangar door. I sturdied myself against the aft wall and placed my ear against the hull. From outside, I could hear a dull metallic croak. Our Lord Seer had sent drones. I had failed. I thought, our intervention is my foundering. And bitterness became me. Such flowery words for an old withman in the cargo hold. Margaret, at this time, is 324 years old on Earth. And yet, due to the extensive and mandatory bodily modifications imposed by our Lord Seer, she retains the mobility and acumen of someone a tenth of her age. The drones bellowed again, but the ship moved forward. With the movement, a symphony of pings and pangs followed an eruption of electrical blasts. It was so loud, I crouched in a corner with my arms up over my head. I rocked myself back and forth and thought, at least it will all be over soon, and we'll be with the seer. But soon I realized that the pings and pangs that I heard were not hits, they were ricochets. The ship's surface seemed to be able to reflect gunfire as well as it reflected light. That's impossible, I said, and I shouldn't have been mistaken. I had always been taught that our Lord Seer had the most advanced technology in the galaxy. The only thing that should have been able to stop those drones was a Damarian juggernaut. But this was no Damarian juggernaut. Damarian juggernauts, built by the Damarian Dominion, are some of the most feared vessels in known space. They carry scanty weapons designed instead with exceptional forward armor and some of the most powerful engines ever built. Their primary mode of attack is to build up significant speed, fix a target, and deflect all defenses on their way through enemy vessels. They would be the most powerful non-Arcadian ships on the spur until the production of the Harbinger-class Dreadnought by the Remenheim Federation. Because of the Juggernaut's design, it has led to an extranet phenomenon among the Federation's human population. Its two large engines, tight, compact core, and big ramming head, while bearing no resemblance to any Demarian genitalia, bears a striking resemblance to that of a human male. There was an electrical whip, followed by an explosion from somewhere forward. A shockwave shook the ship, followed by a ferocious whoof, and then back to the low hum of the engines. My footing was thrown by the shock. But when I fell, I didn't hit the floor. I floated for just a moment and then drifted gently back down onto the cold plasteel as the ship got moving upward. Gradually, I became heavier. I put my ear up against the back wall of the airlock and listened carefully. There was nothing but the sounds of the ship. 
space. I realized he's made it into space. My body jolted, like in those moments close to sleep when you hit an invisible floor. Then a strange, foreign feeling gripped me. It was fear and excitement, relief and despair. I felt forlorn, but glad. I was beginning to think, perhaps, that this wasn't a nightmare at all. I'm free. That's what I said. I didn't give my body permission, nor did I even think to say it myself. It just slipped out. Another jolt hit me. No, I thought. I told myself, Margaret, this is only a test. We'll find a way free. There was a rhythmic vibration that wasn't the engines getting louder every second. Footsteps again. I felt up and down every inch of the white walls, searching for anything that might give me an edge. I found nothing. I swiped at the console. It didn't respond. Margaret, are you all right back there? The strange man in the speckled coat. His voice, now detached from his body, was as uncannily familiar as a ship had seemed minutes prior. But no matter how familiar he seemed, I would not be trading one disembodied voice for another, especially when the former is as exalted as our Lord Seer. I put my back up against a wall. Where are you, fiend? I said. Who are you and where are you taking me? I'm in the cabin next door, that being firmly attached to the rest of my ship. Are you hurt? You still have yet to tell me who you are. Ah, yes, that's right, Margaret, but I'm afraid I've got one more question for you before I do, and it's a big one. Free from what? I felt my heart swell up so heavy that I thought it would sink down below my knees. I thought, it's a trap. It's a trap. I'm ours. Just ours. I always have been, and always will be. I'm still on board the Panacea, safe inside my cabin. If I say our name, I'm lost, and so alone, oh, so alone, and that I won't ever see us again. In that moment, I remembered that thoughts had often betrayed my comrades in the past, and so I wrestled to find peace. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> I'm certain that I don't know what you mean. I have always been free, free and happy. Praise to our Lord Seer. Ugh, a poor performance like that was unlikely to fool anyone, least of all the Seer herself. Seer, you say? Tell me, Margaret, you wouldn't happen to be Arcadian, would you? None more proud and true. That was much better. I could feel my resolve coming back to me at this point. Perhaps I even felt the seer reaching out from Panacea. If this strange man had to ask about Arcadia, then he was an outsider. I thought, what terrible place is he taking me? Nowhere. He's taking me nowhere at all. This is all a dream. This is all a test. Our Lord Seer at work. I shall prove loyal. You poor soul. So then, that ship we just left, it... G give me a moment. He took a little longer this time, so I scavenge around in search of a weapon again. Margaret, 
I'm sorry to have kept you waiting, but I had to run a few tests. Now, when you mentioned you were free... I said no such thing. How dare he presume to question my worship. I said to him, I ask where you are, I ask who you are, and again I ask where you're taking me. Questions which you still have yet to answer. And now I want to know when I may leave. I want to know when this will all be through. When I may wake up in my rooms and forget. I was seized by an overwhelming panic. It was the same sort of fear that gripped me on Constable during the Paramite raids. From what little is known about the Arcadian systems, it seems that each world exists perpetually in a war economy and defensive state, constantly expecting an attack from their rival and launching assaults on their perceived foe. Param attacks Constable, thinking it's Cairo. Constable attacks Consulon, thinking it's Param. Consulon attacks Cairo, thinking it's Constable. And Cairo attacks Param, thinking it's Consulon. The wars are fought exclusively with drones, and so no one knows the difference. They only know fear. Reports from Arcadian refugees are grim. The life of an Arcadian seems to be a series of dreams and nightmares, some waking, some not, but all equally deadly. A wrong thought formed at the wrong time could mean extermination, or worse, excommunication, exile without transcendence to the seer. Likewise, a moment of spontaneous enlightenment or inspiration could mean a lifetime of hard labor. As a result, Diligence and endurance, if not ignorance and servitude, are essential for Arcadians who are fond of life. And Margaret, in this moment, is very fond of life. Something was coming to get me. Very soon, I would either wake up in bed, or I would not wake up at all. I asked the man, What business do you have with our Lord Seer? And why did you creep round when we see all? Again, I think creeping is too strong of a word. I was investigating. Now, look, I get the feeling that we're both fairly equally confused about this whole mess, but what concerns me most at this very moment is the Arcadian that I've got stuck in my hold. That, and just how far gone she actually is. I spoke clearly and slowly. Tell me who you are. Right, now we're getting somewhere. My name is John. I'm from a planet called Agathon, and I was on my way to Yarrow when something went wrong during warp. Next thing I knew, you found me on your ship. Now, as most of us know, humans outside of Arcadia are fools. Underdeveloped, disconnected from each other, prone to violence, and threatening to the stability of the civilized galaxy. This man, having spouted such an obvious lie, was no different. It seemed like I had been abducted by the boogeyman himself. My search for an escape had come up fruitless, and my heart was picking up speed again. The walls were close. I ran to one of the airlock doors, the one I imagined John to be behind, and I banged my fists in a blind fury. Let me out! Let me go now! Let me back! Margaret, please calm yourself. I mean you no harm. Now please, please... I just have a few more questions for you, and then I promise I'll open this door and you'll be free to do whatever you wish. All right? I wanted nothing to do with his insidious questions, but I saw no other option. Ask. <clears throat> All right. Now, listen carefully and answer as quick as you can. 
What's your name? Margaret McEwen. Good. Now, where are you from? I'm from Constable. Really? What region? Midhurst. Which city? Hayden. Where are you headed? Pura. What's two plus two? Four. Nine plus nine? Eighteen. Six times twelve? Seventy-two. How many four-digit numbers have the first digit equal to the sum of the rest? This was it. This was it at last. This was the seer's test. My mind raced, feverishly attempting to calculate the answer. I thought, and I thought, but in the end I failed. I failed us. And so I must be punished. Time's up! The door on the opposite side of the room whirred open. I struck a pose that I felt suggested I was going to defend myself, but my knees were trembling. My mind raced. Now I would never see our endless love, would live in terror of the void beyond. I had always served, I had always been faithful, but I had loved our endless seer in vain. I had played the part, but we are my soul. We know the deepest layers of my mind. My love for us had never been as strong, never shown itself not like it had then, when our love was gone. Moments never last long once we see them. John strolled in with his hands palm out. He kept his eyes fixed on mine. In the dim light of the cargo bay, I hadn't seen anything of his face, but in the bright light of the airlock, I could see my killer for the ugly man that he was. He had long drawn features, a short scraggly beard, unkempt hair. His head was a haunted forest atop a craggy escarpment. His dark brown eyes were latched open, wide and fixated, which made him look perpetually perturbed. He took a step toward me, and I matched him backward, step for step, until I hit the wall behind me. Stay away from me! I'm not going to hurt you. You've been through an awful lot, I'm certain, but you're safe here. Nothing will harm you on my ship. No, you're lying. You're false. My seer, he's lying. I found it all out. I know I'm fallen, but I beg you, please allow me to wake. We shall be your means. You shall be our end. Suddenly, I was in a world of forms, resplendent in golden ratios and fractal integers. The space... Time was constantly breaking over itself as waves of energy crested into turbulent landscapes of information. A wave hit me and sent my head hurtling backward into a mosaic of three-dimensional frames. All of ourself, a tremendous blaze awakens within us, burns us from our core, and we break back through. We shriek, 219, and our eyes open wide. John stops and stares. He repeats the number, then spins around so fast that his coat nearly slaps us in the face. He runs into the corridor, turns, and smashes his palm into the wall next to the door, sealing it tight. We hear a sound that warms our chest. Elation boils up inside of us, puts a stopper in our throat. The companionway has started to click and whir, and two small red lights spin round and round. We walk into the center of the room and sit. We breathe in. We breathe out. We love you, John. Although you may be lost, we love you even when you are so blind. A buzzer sounds before a deafening whoosh steals our hearing. We are pulled out of the ship and crash against the companionway door as we go. 
the breath is knocked out of our lungs. Here is everything, the sum of us laid out among the stars. We would weep if our tears were not dry freezing. We would watch, except these eyes have boiled away. We gaze across the shadow of infinity, and finally we let ourselves out. We are whole again. This has been the first part of the second episode of Cycles of Orion, Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, starring Artie Chandra as Margaret and E.P. Dannis as the narrator and the time traveler. Thank you for listening, and make sure to check out part two of this segment, Jacob and the Time Traveler. In the meantime, don't forget to share on social media and check out our Patreon for updates and exclusive content. Or, if you want to read more from E.P. Danis, head over to epdanis.com.